So this morning, we will be in Psalm 46. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 46, and we will begin with verse 1. So to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Almoth, a song. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Father, may we think upon these things. May we meditate upon these things. As we dig through these scriptures this morning, may we have a greater reality of who you are. May you cause our hearts to be still this morning. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart, may they be acceptable to you this morning. Amen. April 2nd, 2012, uh, this was the first day that I had as a mobilizer for World Team Mission Organization up in Warrington, Pennsylvania. Uh, mobilizer is just a fancy name for a recruiter, not a, a leading role for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, I went through a, a little orientation as I arrived on April 2nd. I uh, filled out some paperwork and then they led me into my office. And as I got situated at my desk, I, I turned on my computer and whoever had sat there before, the, the prior mobilizer, uh, he had an account there that said leads on it. And so I opened up this folder and all of a sudden I was faced with a, an Excel spreadsheet that had hundreds of names on it, families and individuals, and all of these families and individuals, they had a desire to serve Christ cross-culturally on a foreign field. And so I began to pray and I, I asked God to give me wisdom and discernment as I began this new task of being able to make connections with some of these families and share with them uh, how we as a mission organization could help send them. And as so I took time to pray through these scriptures. I, I followed up with one family and it was, it was the first family I ever contacted. It was the right family and they were the right family. Uh, we spoke about their desire to go. They wanted to serve amongst the Tarahumara Indians in northern Mexico. Problem was, was our mission organization didn't work in Mexico. 
So I asked them if they would consider being open to the idea of going into another area. Um, our purpose as a mission organization was to go to the least reached peoples, those that had not yet heard the gospel. And so I spoke to them about this for a little while, and at the end of our call, I finished with a verse that I had been reading through earlier that day, which was in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And it says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now this would become the scripture that would be foundational in my prayer as a recruiter. I would meditate over these verses for, for every day, every morning I would wake up and I, I even had the scripture written next to my computer. And as I continued to work through this long list of leads that I had to follow up and I was meditating on this scripture, I started thinking to myself, you know, I have no problem with telling everyone else why they should go. Why couldn't we? And that was a, a tough thought, a tough question to ask myself. The thought of going overseas, honestly, it was quite overwhelming. We had an amazing church that we were a part of. Uh, I had a, a great job where I was overseeing ministry at that church and then also now recruiting uh, missionaries. We had friends that were like family to us. So was I okay with leading my family towards possible danger, loss of comfort, or even possibly loss of life? I thought about Christ's words to his disciples uh, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 27. Christ says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Like I said, I was part of a rapidly growing church overseeing vibrant family ministry. Our family, we had a, a wonderful home where we focused on discipling our children. I was helping to recruit missionaries and send them out. Was this not enough? <laughs> Surely it was enough. But was it? And so I would continue to ponder this question for months and I prayed about whether or not God wanted us to go. So finally, after months of praying and the conviction was setting in and it was so great, I knew that it was time to start making steps. So I came home and told Sonia that I think God is calling us to serve him overseas. And she looked up with her hazel eyes and she goes, let's go. No, that didn't happen. 
<laughs> it didn't happen that way. She said, uh, maybe that's your calling, uh, but that's not my calling. And uh, she said that I understand that you feel called to go, but she had no real desire. Um, at that time, the same fears and the overwhelming thoughts that I had encountered months prior were now flooding her mind and her heart as she was filled with questions of what might happen if we were to go. How could I lose all of that that God has placed in front of us? This is good. And so I guess I was hoping and maybe even there was some expectation that she would have just jumped on board, but it wasn't. And at that time I had gone back into work. Uh, There was a colleague that I worked with, Dr. Sutton. And Dr. Sutton, uh, he was discipling me and he brought me into his office and he challenged me and he said, you know, Dave, if you drag your wife out to the mission field, it's going to be a disaster. He said, do you believe that the same Holy Spirit, by the word that's sufficient, that convicted your heart, can do that same work in her heart? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I want you to then pray and fast and I want you to be patient. I want you to be patient. And so, Over the next several weeks and months, uh, we had friends that came to us and said, hey, we would love to do a home fellowship with you guys and have it focused on missions. (laughs) And so we opened up our home every week and we began to study uh, scriptures. We began to pray for missionaries, missionaries that were on furlough. We invited them over to our home uh, that we would break bread with them and hear about their stories, hear about the things that Uh, we were fearful of that they were overcoming. And as we were going through this, we were also reading the book, Let the Nations Be Glad. I remember when we first came to BioView, I remember Michael had one of the Sunday school classes was taking all of you guys through that same book. And as we're praying for these unreached people groups all over the world, um, it it was just an exciting time. And And I think God was using this as a time to begin to soften Sonia's heart as well. And then I was invited to go to a college that I was recruiting at, uh, Lancaster Bible College, and they were having this large missions conference. This missions conference, the the name of the conference was Be Still. (laughs) And the key text that was preached is the same text that we are in today, which is Psalm 46. And this psalm and other scriptures would speak directly into our sinful condition that was pushing us from being obedient. We felt paralyzed to be obedient in light of our fear and our anxiety due to the long list of dangerous possibilities. You know, fear and anxiety is very present in our world. We live our lives constantly trying to figure out how to have better or more sure, more lasting security. There's over 40 million people in our country alone that struggle with clinical anxiety. We are so plugged into our local communities, our states, our national news, our global news. We have access through social media and world news. There's little that happens that we are unaware of anymore. We are front viewers, front row viewers of of war, of crime, of illness. And as our minds are inundated with the realities of living in a fallen world, Our fear becomes a greater reality than the promises of God. We become hyper-concerned with our careers, our finances, and our relational status, our need to protect ourselves. 
from sickness, diseases, and from those that might do harm against us that seem to plague our minds. When we meditate on the depravity of this world, we can become suffocated by it. How could we ever decide to obey the Lord and move towards something that would only seem to increase our odds of sickness, danger, and even death? Well, the first verse of Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The first word that the psalmist utters is God, Elohim, the triune God, the Most High, the one that all things that describe deity are found in Him. The Creator God, the whole psalm will be built on the truth of who God is and what He is able to accomplish. It will highlight His righteousness. It will highlight His righteous judgment against His enemies and His steadfast love towards His children. He is our refuge. This refuge is a place where we are able to take protection in the midst of the storms, to hide from danger. He's our strength. This this word, this strength, it's, it's a masculine noun, and it shows that He, our God, is ready to war and battle for us. This covers material, physical, personal, social, or political problems covers the full gamut. He is ready to battle for us in all of those arenas. And he is a very present, very exceedingly present, which is secure, able to be found, able to be encountered. Often in our state of anxiety, we are overwhelmed with the thought or feeling that we are alone. But we must remember that God is intimately there. He is more there. He is more in our presence than anything or anyone else. A very present help in trouble. This help, it's a feminine noun, and this help expresses compassion or nurturing, like like a, a mother hen protecting her chicks in all circumstances, especially during times of trouble. Does this, does this bring comfort to you? There is enough just in this one verse that we could meditate on this for the rest of our time here on this earth. In fact, Dr. Steve Lawson wrote a great article on Martin Luther for Ligonier. And he said Martin Luther, who on October 31st, 1517, sparked the Protestant Reformation of the church, as he posted his 95 thesis on the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And I did, I placed a number of these, of the, these articles on the round table out there. And uh, with the continent of Europe in upheaval, he found great comfort in the soul-lifting truths of the Psalms. Specifically, in 1527, Luther faced one of the greatest difficulties of his life. As the Black Plague swept across Germany and much of the European continent, during this time, Luther's son almost died and his body was fainting under the mounting pressure. In the midst of this personal conflict, Luther found himself contemplating the promises of Psalm 46, an encouraging psalm of trust in the invincibility of the Lord. Gaining new strength from this old song, Luther composed what is arguably his most famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress. 
Amid such adversity, this embattled stalwart found God to be his bulwark, which is a defensive wall, never failing. Though he had previously taught and even translated the Psalms, Luther now found himself living them as never before. Many times during this dark and tumultuous period, when terribly discouraged, he would turn to his co-worker Philip and say, Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm. Together they would sing, A sure stronghold our God is he, a timely shield and weapon. Our helper he will be and set us free from every ill can happen. With unshakable confidence in God, Luther reflected upon and drew strength from his choice psalm. We sing this psalm to the praise of God because he is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh and sin. So now as we return to our text in verse 2, it says, in light of our sovereign, all-powerful God, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Will not fear, it's an imperfect verb. It's showing that the psalmist, it, he did not fear looking back, and he will not fear looking forward. And I say the psalmist because we're not certain uh, whether or not this was David, whether or not this was Hezekiah, or whether this was even Isaiah. The, the psalmist, he's drawing our attention to the, the chaos that exists on this earth. And as we were living in the Philippines, we were exposed to the threat of constant storms, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, horrible flooding, massive landslides, and it opened up my eyes to the power demonstrated in nature. There are somewhere between 7,000 to 7,800 islands located in the Philippines. That number changes frequently because many of those islands are either brought up or pushed back down into the sea. And just as our heart and our mind starts to get overwhelmed at the idea of being devastated by all of this chaos that we are confronted with within nature, we are confronted with this immediate transition in verse 4. When he says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Now there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This river, it, it actually causes rejoicing in the city of God. We can look at the new Jerusalem, which we see described in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3. And it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, 
flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. You know, this was placed here for hope for the, the, the persecuted church, for the church going through great despair. As we read through the first three chapters of Revelation, we know that these churches were struggling and they needed something to hope in. And even in the text, it says that those who read the book of Revelation, that there is a blessing. And that blessing is a greater reality of this hope of what's to come. And this river that's being described here in this psalm, I believe, points us to this prophetic look of what we see in the New Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem, it was a city that was not built next to a mighty river. Like the city I was born in, Philadelphia, that's, that's directly next to the Delaware River. New York, next to the Hudson. New Orleans, next to the Mississippi River. Many large cities are usually built next to large rivers. Jerusalem, it's not like that. Jerusalem, there's only a few small springs. Probably the most known in the Kidron Valley is probably the, the Spring of Gihon. And so that's why I really do feel like this is most likely pointing closer towards the prophetic look of what we should hope in. And this is the holy habitation of the Most High. We are seeing this exalted language, the Most High or the Most Excellent. Everything else is below God. There is no comparison to our Lord. His habitation is where He, God, dwells. The children of Zion, we, the church, are rejoicing at the blessings that we are receiving as we are in the presence of the Most High. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, meaning God with us, is our good news of God dwelling with man. After Christ ascended to the Father, we were not left alone, but we were given the promised Holy Spirit who indwells the believer. Jesus would shout this out in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. He says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Church, this is us. The redeemed church, the children of God, we have not been left as orphans. But by the Spirit of adoption who dwells in us, we are now able to have rivers of life that flow from our hearts. This river represents all that is good. The blessings and the promises found in God's Word, they can pour out from our hearts. The believer is like the tree that David describes in Psalm 1. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. 
We are not only in view of this river to bring us comfort, but the river that flows from us now is able to bring others comfort as we bear the fruit of the Spirit. Church, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Verse 8 says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. These promises are not just something we hope for, but it is evidence in what God has demonstrated all throughout history. This is one of the wonderful things we get to witness as we read through God's Word. We get to behold the wondrous works of the Lord. We see how God conquered His enemies and protected His people. We see that He protected His people and it should give us great hope and comfort as we look ahead at His promises to eventually judge all nations and to bring an everlasting peace to His people through Christ who is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He is true and he is faithful. I told you that Sonia was struggling through those same fears that I had. The possibility of loss stirred a great fear in her heart. And God, who is so gracious, saw her fear and calmed the storm of anxiety in her heart. Like Christ being on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples in Matthew chapter 8, 23 through 27. And it says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the seas, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? This is the same God who says to be still and know that I am God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. And it says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to be a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus, before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Friends, be still and know that he is God. 
Allow the reality of God to be bigger than your fears. Confess your fear. Confess your anxieties to the Lord. He will be your refuge, your strength. He's doing this for his glory. Listen to what he declares. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Pastor Chris, he read Revelation 7 last week where we are brought into the throne room and we have this intimate view of all of the saints being gathered. And it's every nation, every tongue, every tribe being before the throne of God, worshiping God. And they are saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It is amazing to know that God would choose any one of us to be a part of this great redemptive work, to declare his glory among the nations. This is not a calling to the few, but this calling is to all of us who are believers of Jesus Christ. Let us not respond to this great calling with doubt, but instead worship him as you labor to go and make disciples. This psalm, it gives us a final repeated message of hope. It's the second time we see this in this psalm. And it says in verse 11, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Many of you are here this morning are hurting. Many of you have family that are struggling. You have bills that you're concerned about. There are medical issues happening in your own life. There's things that are distracting you from seeing that God of Jacob is with you. Is the thought of evangelizing the lost, is it overwhelming to you? Does the thought of serving Christ on a foreign soil scare you? Find comfort in the truths of this psalm. You are not alone. Church, you are not alone. God has given you this church to help bear the burdens that are weighing you down. We are here to point you to the one who is greater than your fears. If you are here this morning and you have not confessed that you are a sinner in desperate need of Christ, to be your Savior. Christ, who was born of a virgin, was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity. He lived a perfect life. He paid for the sins of those who he would save by shedding his blood upon the cross. After he died, Christ was placed in the grave. On the third day, he arose from the grave, conquering sin and death. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and Christ has now all power and all authority. And if you have not confessed this, then the Lord is not with you. And I pray, I pray that you would confess your sins and turn to Christ in repentance, that you might place your faith in the one who is able. May the God of Jacob be your mighty fortress today. Let us exalt him in prayer.
Father, we come before you confessing our fears, confessing our anxiety before you, a holy God, the creator of the universe, the one who knows the beginning from the end. We declare your sovereignty and we declare how small we are. Father, we are grateful that you have not left us alone, that you have given us a helper who is able, the Holy Spirit. We are grateful that the Spirit indwells us. We are grateful that we have this common bond in Christ, that together as a church we can bear each other's burdens, that we can continue to spur each other on towards good works, towards being faithful, towards being pure before you. Father, let us not be a church that we hide our fears. Let us be a, a church where we are able to share our fears with one another, that we might comfort each other with the words that you've given to us in your sufficient word. And God, I do pray if there is anyone here this morning who has not confessed Christ as Lord, I pray, God, that you would convict their hearts, that you would give them a desire that only you can give for them to serve Christ as Lord, that they would confess their sins and that they would live a life now worthy of the calling that you've placed on all believers. Father, let us complete our Sunday being still. Father, in a loud world that's filled with so much that's trying to speak louder than your word. Let us be still knowing that your voice, that your word speaks above all of it. God, let our hearts find hope in, in the promises in your word, knowing that in the future we have this wonderful hope in the imminent return of Christ. That one day you will make all things new again. Thank you, Father, for these truths. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.